I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Hello, and welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Rose, and I'm so happy and honored to be joining you again today. I took another little week off last week, which is funny considering the fact that I had taken, you know, two and a half months off and then done about four episodes. But it's been really important for me recently to just go with the flow when it's going to be too much for me to get this done. And I appreciate you being so supportive and understanding about that. Um, And I'm happy to be refreshed and to be back here joining you today. And I'm so glad that I took that break. One of the things that I'm going to be talking about today with my guest, Hannah Tarian, who I am super thrilled to introduce you to. She is a distance Reiki practitioner, yoga instructor, and wellness coach, among many other things. We talk about something called wintering. And wintering is the practice of essentially taking time, space, and rest for as long as you need um, seasonally, just as we do, just as the seasons change, right? And Hannah will go in, talk about this in more detail. But she tells us that wintering in our own minds and bodies doesn't necessarily happen at the same time as actual winter. For me, that's certainly been the case this year. I've, I've been in line with the actual seasons, but often it's just the opposite. And um I just feel as though I'm perhaps coming out of my winter, um, but still need need the time that I need to take to hibernate. And so I, I appreciate you knowing and understanding that. And perhaps that's where you're at today as well. I have a best friend. Her name is Nico. And we talk every day. We use an app called Voxer. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I actually use it to talk to Hannah, my guest today as well. And you can leave each other voicemails or voice notes for up to 15 minutes at a time and check in and say whatever you need to say. A lot of personal coaches and mentors use it. We just, you know, use it to talk to each other and to stay connected. And she's really the person in my life um, besides my husband that I tell everything to and that I check in with every day. And I'm so grateful for her. And we've been talking about a lot of things recently that I feel I want to bring on here. So I'm going to start with the one that has been the most in my face. And when I thought to share it with you today, I saw 1111 on the clock. So I'm very into numbers. And uh, when I saw that, I felt like the angels were with me and it was the right thing to do to share it with you today. So I have heard from so many people, and I did share this on a previous episode, but I'm going to go into more detail about it here. I've heard from so many people who experienced a lot of trauma this past year, whether it was COVID related or they were in the recent freeze in Texas that you know they don't want to say too much about their struggle because they know so many other people had it so much worse. And so I keep seeing and hearing people say that. And then we had the Harry and Meghan interview air. And I was just furiously looking at, I wasn't furious, like angry, but I was sort of ferociously looking at the comments on the articles that were being posted about it on Facebook. And I would say more than half of the comments, way more than half, were saying, oh, give me a break. You know, poor little Meghan. She married into the royal family and had everything made and then had to leave to go get her own independence, like cry me a river. Cry me a river was something that I saw a lot of people saying. I thought a lot about the way, um, you know, many of us were raised, the way people have historically raised children and the way it can be very tempting to raise children to sort of feel like they have it better than so many other people when they're emotional. Like, hey, let me take your feelings away from you because there are so many people around you that have it better. So stop complaining to me that you have a banana for dinner because that's all I have and I don't want to hear it. And how many times have I been there with my own kids where I just want them to be grateful for what I'm giving them and stop complaining? And often what ends up happening in those moments, I think if we aren't aware, is that we subconsciously communicate to our kids Stop complaining, be thankful for what you have, which later evolves into, well, I shouldn't be upset about this. But 
let me just have your ear for a minute, okay? What if all pain and what if all struggle is the same? I'm not telling you that the person who is starving in Africa and has no parents and hasn't had water in five days is struggling to the same degree as Princess Meghan or Duchess Meghan. Um, I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is that all of it is relevant. What if our pain is ours for a reason and it is just as significant to us no matter who we are and that it does not matter that somebody else might be struggling more or less in terms of us processing what it is that we are upset about, that it is completely irrelevant what other people might be going through for us to process our pain, anger, and sadness about what it is that we are going through, that we're actually called to process the pain and anger and sadness that we have so that we can get to the other side of that pain and be more of who we are, that we're actually doing ourselves a disservice by not doing that, that we are serving the world and serving others and serving ourselves by stepping up to whatever challenges we are faced with and processing them, that it makes absolutely no difference that somebody else beside me is struggling more than me. It might make a difference in terms of having perspective, right? Like if I stub my toe and I'm just hysterical and like I've had the worst day ever, yes, it will have me, it will help me find more gratitude to realize that this is not really that big of a problem compared to a lot of other problems. Sure. But as far as actually, you know, feeling the pain that my toe is in and getting to the other side of that pain, that doesn't actually affect it at all. And what if this whole culture that we have around really shaming other people, that's what it is, um, for the pain that they feel because it's not as big as the pain beside them, isn't just not doing us a service, it's doing us a huge disservice. And what if we could really honor what everybody around us is going through, no matter where we think they've come from or how much easier we believe they've had things than us? What if that made everybody feel safe enough to feel however they feel? I saw a meme the other day that was talking about how you know, it's important to let your kids have all of the emotions that they're experiencing so that they don't grow up to be adults who shut down when they feel anything other than happiness. And I was certainly, I mean, I have been raised in this culture. I have absolutely been on a journey of recovery from feeling as though the only emotion that I am allowed to feel at any point in time is happiness. And that's a cultural thing, right? So how much better do you think people would feel if whatever they were going through, they didn't have to think about what the person next to them might may or may not be experiencing, but they were just allowed without shame to feel that pain. And what if it wasn't must be nice to have what you have, but perhaps we could think, you know, I don't really know what that's like. And I don't really know how much this person had. And I get where that's coming from. I get where somebody who has so much less than Meghan Markle would look at what she's experiencing and just think, screw you. Like I have been through the worst year of my life. I got laid off. I don't have a job. And like, how dare you come on here and give Oprah an interview about how hard your life is. But then you listen kind of, you listen to what she had to say, right? And you realize that that was a huge struggle. And I think most people in that situation would be, would really struggle with it. And that it doesn't really affect her struggle that other people have struggled too with perhaps things that are far more significant, like losing you know, their, their livelihood. Um, and I understand why somebody who has lost their livelihood this year would watch something like that and feel that way. But perhaps we could not let that be the thought that dominates our society, right? I understand that there are going to be people in pain who are going to have a very hard time with the fact that Megan is in pain too. But perhaps that pain isn't what we should be using to dictate how we discuss our struggles in this society. Because I really am concerned with the culture of being overly careful with what we say about how we are feeling at the risk that somebody else might be struggling more and be offended by that. And I saw, you know, Princess Diana, there was a, a recent recap of an interview that she did in which she said, you know, the moment she walked down that aisle, she lost her freedom and she lost her personality. And like, that's a huge thing to experience. And so can we contribute to being in a culture that is able to hear that out as opposed to one that's driven by its pain? And would that perhaps make everybody feel 
more comfortable to experience whatever they're experiencing. Cause I'll tell you, I have friends who were, you know, barely hanging on and have multiple children and had a horrible year. And then on top of that, they froze um, in the, in the Texas freeze. And, and, and those people still believe that they did not have a reason to complain. So there's clearly something going on and can we look at it as not complaining? And if we can look at ourselves, if we can give ourselves that compassion, would we be more likely to give it also to our children? I believe that the answer is yes. And I believe that as tempted as I've been, and trust me, I have been, and trust me, I have slipped up around this many times to tell my kids to just stop screaming and be grateful for what I've given them. I think there's value to me slipping up around that many times. I think they need to understand that adults have limits and I can't just be Pollyanna all the time by any stretch. But for the most part, if for the most part, I am able to tolerate their frustration and not necessarily give into it and just say, you know, I'm sorry you don't like bananas. That's how we're having for dinner tonight. Instead of trying to change how they feel about it, you know, you should be so grateful that you have this banana. All these things that I'm doing are just to try to get them to stop whining and crying because those are the things that really trigger me. And I just want those things to go away. So my friend, my, my best friend, Nico, she called me and, um, you know, she was telling me this story that I responded back to her with, a, with another story. And I prefaced that story with, you following here? I prefaced that story with, I realized these are like rich people problems. Um, and I was referencing somebody else's problem. Um, and I didn't want her to be like, almost like offended that I thought it was a problem at all. And then she responded to me and said, you know, basically long, like in short, it's still a problem. It's still like something that I would never want to experience. It still sounds grueling and excruciating. And I thought, yeah, like, why did I preface that story? Why did I preface that story with that? Like, that was such a hard thing for that person. And I can't imagine that the person I was telling the story about didn't feel some amount of guilt for struggling the way that she did with the past few months of her life, which is, have been extremely difficult. And yes, the problems that she's faced have been problems that somebody with privilege gets to experience, but they are still a struggle. And I thought, how much guilt have I had, you know, for, for having had a very challenging 2020 when I had it better than most people? Um, it doesn't mean that I didn't have a really challenging year. I, re I, I mentioned to you guys last time I was on here that I've started AMDR therapy, which is been honestly, you guys, I have had about four sessions and I don't think anything, I mean, it's in the top two most impactful things I have ever done to heal the trauma that I, that I have. And I am blown away by it. I'm absolutely blown away by it. And um, in that therapy room, you know, separate from the EMDR, just in the conversations, I, I started talking about this past year. And um, my therapist actually started talking to me more about what it's like to go outside every day and to see people wearing their masks and that this is that those masks are constantly triggering this fight, flight, or freeze response, even if we're not aware of it. And I, I just started like sobbing. I wasn't even talking. I was just sobbing, thinking about how traumatizing this past year has been in ways that we just don't discuss at all. Because who's going to discuss having a hard time walking outside and seeing everybody in total panic and paranoia when there are so many worse things it seems like are going on. But um, I hope this and I, I hope this will give an opportunity to anyone who needs it to just be wherever you are and that your experience is valid and it's okay. And if you have, you know, if you have a nanny and a night nurse and you're still struggling with the newborn stage and you're on Instagram and you're looking at other people's Instagrams and thinking, gosh, why is this so hard for me? It's okay that it's hard for you. Your hard belongs to you. And if you have none of those things and you feel frustrated and angry that other people have them and you don't understand why it's so much harder for you, that is a really, really hard situation. And I completely feel for you. And um, I hope that we can foster more openness and space for everyone, no matter what type of experience they're having, raising a child, especially because how fierce can that be as far as, well, I don't deserve to complain because this person has this. And just in general, um, that your pain is relevant and real. Um, and it's, it's completely valid no matter what it is or where it's from. And I really do believe that if we can start there with ourselves, that's where 
the parenting really begins. That's where compassionate parenting really begins. Because if we can't accept our own big feelings, how are we supposed to accept those of our children, right? We just do the same thing that was done to us. We pass it on. We tell our kids not to feel their discomfort because their discomfort is so uncomfortable for us because we don't feel ours, right? We don't feel... We don't feel our pain. And so when they're so openly expressing theirs, it's very difficult. It's very triggering if this is an experience that you've had. And so for a very long time, I think I was starting with my children. And I still do this, by the way. (laughs) I do it less. But um, I was starting with my children. Like, I am going to be this positive parent and I'm going to read this book and I'm going to make sure. I mean, how many books do my kids have just about, you know, being anxious or whatever they might be experiencing. Cause I'm trying to give them tools to manage their emotions, but I have a really hard time managing their big feelings sometimes because I have a hard time managing my own. And, um, what has really helped me have a much easier time is making space for all of it. Like telling myself constantly that whatever it is that I'm experiencing is, is relevant and valid and it's okay. Kids don't think about their friend at school who has it way worse than they do when they're upset. They also have compassion for that child. I mean, if my daughter finds out that one of her friends is having a hard time, she gives that person a pat on the back. But that doesn't stop her from freaking the hell out when she stubs her toe, right? So I hope this was helpful to you today. And um, I appreciate you listening and being here. I can't wait to hand the floor over to Hannah. Hannah is my sorority sister from college and has been on an incredible journey. I can't wait for you to hear more about it, what she does. And I encourage you to hang on and really listen through the entire interview because there's really something in here for everyone, particularly if food is something that you've had an issue with. If you were raised in diet culture, I think that applies to most people listening here. Um, Or if you've had food issues yourself or if they were in your family and now you have children or perhaps you don't, you're just working on your own recovery um, she has so many beautiful things to say about intuitive eating and her own um, her own journey and anxiety and energy and so much, so much good stuff. So without any further ado, here's Hannah. Enjoy. Do you guys know that person that you went to college with that you follow on Instagram and maybe you guys kind of knew each other? Um, maybe you knew each other really well. Maybe you didn't. But now on social media, you just think that you guys would be best friends and you wish you got to know each other a little bit better when you were in college. I am so excited to bring you one of those people today and to have the conversation I've been wanting to have with her if we did get to hang here in Colorado. She's all the way in Burlington, Vermont. But um, Hannah Terrian is my guest today. She is a registered nurse and a wellness mentor and coach who I really think just transcends what we think of when we think of what a coach is. So I'm going to let that speak for itself in this episode. But without any further ado, Hannah, welcome to Look My No Hands. (laughs) Thank you so much, Laura. I am so excited to be here with you today. I'm so thrilled that you're here with me. And this is actually a really cool story. Hannah reached out to me when I was in the middle of moving and like, had put the show on pause and said that somebody had reached out to her about being on a podcast. And I was thinking, damn, like I have to ask you to be on my podcast and I just haven't done that yet. Well, it turned out that that podcast fell through for the time being. And this is actually your first podcast ever. So I'll get to say that I was the first one to have you on, but (laughs) um, I'm thrilled that you're here. And I just want to say, and we'll go through this. So everyone who doesn't know you can hear about your journey. Um, Watching you just blossom over the past several years has just been a treat. It's been amazing. And um, you're one of those people who I want other people to find your Instagram and just feel like the fresh air that I feel when I'm on your page. And um, you have had quite a journey of recovery around um, food and eating and anxiety. You talk on Mm -hmm. your website about how you like to help people who deal with chronic low-level anxiety, among other things, because that's something that you yourself dealt with. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're not a parent yet, but let me just tell you mm-hmm. something. If you don't already have chronic low-level anxiety, there's something about <laughs> becoming a parent <laughs> that makes you really familiar with the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it would be so valuable to have you come on today and talk about your journey and um, how you help others deal with chronic low-level anxiety and the other things you help them deal with. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for seeing me in that light. I feel like you're, you hit the nail on the head the past, I would say since I was 27. So the past four years of my life have been 
full of like blossom. And that blossom has only happened because of the self-healing journey that I found myself on from early high school to mid-college all the way through like my mid-20s. Um, it really was a time of like self-exploration and self-healing. Um, and then when I did move to California when I was 27, it was the most magical time of my life because I felt like I could finally like see the sunshine, if you know what I mean. Um, it was, it was beautiful. So feel it on your skin. Yeah. Like all of that. It was totally with it, totally present. Um, and yeah, anxiety was definitely part of my journey along with other things. And, um, yeah, I just appreciate you, Laura, for seeing me in that light because it's just, um, it means a lot to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody has something that prompts them to start a healing journey. And it's usually something big. We don't just like get kind of irritated with ourselves, right? Yeah. I've always wondered what it was for you because when we knew each other in college, I didn't know you well enough to really know Mm -hmm. what it was you were dealing with at the time. Yeah. It's funny because when I was sort of preparing for this, um, my healing journey, I would say, began when I was in my dorm room on Huntington Ave at Northeastern. And that was like right really? the time that we started to get to know each other. Um, and yeah, that was the time where, um, just to backtrack a little bit, like high school is when my parents started to separate from each other. Um, I began to find more control in over-exercising exercising and eating. Um, and then with that, I found a lot of like shame and guilt when I would like binge eat. Um, so yeah, I, I began to have an eating disorder in high school and college. Um, and then in college, I just had one Friday night. I remember sitting in my dorm room um, by the window, looking down on Huntington, seeing the tea pass. And I was just like, this is not the life that I want to create for myself what is the life that I want to create for myself? And I, I like changed plans. I was supposed to go out with my friends that night. I was like, Nope, I'm staying in tonight. Um, I remember I went to CVS and I bought like 10 magazines and I started making a vision board for myself. Um, that is when I also found like the healing properties of like relaxing music, like meditation music. Um, I would just spend like Friday, Saturday, Sundays, in college, listening to meditation music, journaling, lighting candles, making those vision boards, um, going for really long walks by myself. And honestly, it was all just like alone time and time with myself. Um, And that's when I found the most medicine in my healing journey. And that was like the healing point. Um, And yeah, it was like the first time that I really put myself first and stopped caring about pleasing other people like oh are my friends going to be mad at me that I'm not going out am I going to lose friends at at that point it was like I'm putting myself first I began like to truly retreat inwards and you know worked with a therapist twice a week um so yeah it was like the time that I began to know you that it was the time that I started to like turn a corner well, I remember you asking me, so background, Hannah and I were sorority sisters um, in another life. And um, I remember you coming at sorority meetings and kind of asking me questions about like what was going on with me because I had had like a similar experience and a similar time. And you seemed to be like one of the only people who was picking up on that. So I'd gone to London and when I was 20 and um, I'd really hit an absolute rock bottom um, in my life. And I was extremely depressed and I had no money, um, Mm -hmm. to go to therapy. So I started going to recovery meetings for people who deal with addiction. They're called Al-Anon if you're interested. Mm -hmm. And that was really the beginning of, um, my real spiritual recovery journey. And I came home after that, that, um, time in London. And, um, you know, I really had planned on kind of just taking my space like away from everything and somehow got sucked into not only being in a sorority, but being president (laughs) of my sorority. And uh, (laughs) it was a lot, it was a lot. Um, and, uh, we, you know, I just always, I was kind of beating to my own drum and like, not everybody was necessarily perceptive to that, but you definitely were. I mean, what you just described about being in your dorm by yourself, and getting all those books and making the vision boards. I mean, I was doing things like that. And I remember you kind of asking me like something, you seem like you seem different almost. You seem like there's something. Um, I had, you know, this boyfriend who lived in London and it was really my first great romantic relationship 
Um, and I just felt like I was kind of living on a different plane. And it was really important to mm-hmm. me at the time to preserve my time with myself and my relationship with myself. And when you're in college, that's sort of the last thing anybody thinks that you're going to be doing, right? Yeah, like, totally. yeah, you're going to be going out and like having a good time. And uh, yeah. I'm glad that I took college up on the time that it gave me just to be with myself, because I can say now, you know, that that was a rare and wonderful opportunity. So you were, you know, and I, I love um, watching your journey unfold around this. Um, you were, you know, using food as a coping mechanism. And mm-hmm. now when you share, you share the cutest reels. I love them <laughs> about having a good relationship with food. And you mm-hmm. always just talk about really like listening to yourself and like letting yourself eat what you want, essentially. Like how did that, how did that unfold for you? Hmm. It was How'd weird. you get there? It was years. Um, yeah. And I think that it's allowing myself to like be fully present in my body, present with my body, present with my mind, present with the soul that resides in my body and not like being numb, um, not disassociating. And I've learned a lot of that through energy work, um, like through, through the crown chakra, a lot of women tend to disassociate out of their bodies that way. Um, and I, I, when learning that, I was like, wow, I think I've lived a lot of my life like that. Um, so yeah, I think discovering. Why do you do that? Like I read a lot about that. Um, I think it's a coping mechanism. No, I think it's a coping mechanism, a way to just like, you know, continue hustling, going through all the motions that and expectations and all of the different things that we create in our lives to just keep going. And, um, for those moments that we remember to drop in, is when we get all of those different cues. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I'm sad. All of those different things is when we start to come back in is when we hear everything. And um, so I help people develop that practice of dropping in and different tools, strategies, actions of self-care that you can take to almost like create boundaries, almost like you're, you're in your own little eggshell. Um, so you can not get distracted or pulled out um, to be really present with yourself. And often a lot of that time of dissociating or coming out of our bodies is when we're eating. Um, eating is like a huge coping mechanism to like, to disregard all of your feelings, um, or to like, if you're feeling overwhelmed to, to turn to food. And that's when, that's when I really turned to food is when my parents started separating and I felt like I was losing all of control of like my quote unquote perfect childhood. Um, like I felt like I was at the bottom of a Canyon trying to like climb out and food was a crutch over exercising was a crutch. Um, my like making my body appear to be perfect was a crutch. And I was just trying to like build this staircase out of like this terrible Canyon. Um, and it wasn't until like, yeah, I guess going off of the Canyon metaphor, like turning around and walking down the path out rather than climbing out. When you say you're so, you're so called perfect family, was it a revelation that you kind of had after you know, your parents separated that that wasn't necessarily true or was that something that still feels true for you? I think that, I think that perfect isn't, isn't real. And I think that everyone has their journey that they're supposed to go on, like that we came to earth to experience. And, um, I think that, you know, I've been through a lot starting when I was five years old, my house burnt down to the ground on Christmas day. Um, and they're like, my family has just been like resilient. And I think that it's, it's really been a lesson in unconditional love um, and forgiveness with, with your family members and knowing that everyone really is trying their best and yeah, always coming back to like the idea of love. Yeah. Rather than perfection. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. So right after you graduated, you met your husband, right? Yeah. How'd you guys meet? Yeah. I Did that have to do with your vision board? I'm so curious. <laughs> I wish I kept my vision boards. I have no idea where they are. Um, but yeah, no, I met my husband through my best friend, um, my best childhood friend. I went to go visit her. Uh, side note, I was in Fiji, you know, going doing nursing abroad in Fiji. The program I went through through Northeastern fell through. They weren't actually supposed to be 
working in healthcare systems there. So anyways, I got <laughs> deported from Fiji. That's like always yeah. my fun fact. I got deported from Fiji and I had like three months off from college. So I was living at home, but really that wasn't the best place for me. So I went to go really spend a lot of time with my best friend who was actually in college at St. Michael's College in Burlington, Vermont. Um, so I went to spend time with her, like basically, you know, every week I was up there. And at that time she was dating someone who was best friends with my husband. So we went on a lot of like double dates. Um, and yeah, that's how we met. As soon as I locked eyes with my husband, I was like, you're my person. I was like, it was just that moment of like, that's who I'm going to marry before we even spoke. Like we made eye contact and I, and I just, that's incredible. It was so cool. You just knew. Yeah, it was so cool. I, I was going to church at the time, praying, praying, praying to meet my person. Um, and it happened. Yeah. That's so funny. I so identify with so much of that really? story. So how, so today, so you were a registered nurse and you really mm-hmm. transitioned into the career that you have today. Was that something that you'd wanted to do for a really long time? How did that unfold? Yeah. Good question. Um, it started unfolding when my dad got sick and cancer with cancer, um, in 2010, I started to see how, um, like there's so much power in Western medicine, the nursing, the healthcare and seeing doctors, all of the treatments that we can find, but that's more of like a reactive medicine to illness. And I wanted to explore more about like the preventative medicine and seeing people as like a whole person, because when you're in nursing school or when you are working as a nurse, you, it's almost like you focus in on why they're there and how you can help them get out of the hospital, whether it's a wound, whether it's a surgery. And I really wanted to zoom out and see people for a whole being, like all mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, all parts of being a human. Um, so with that, I just was like intrigued and my early twenties, like through college through like 25, I would just get all these different books and read about, um, self-care, holistic health. I would just like in my free time, read interesting books about health and holistic well-being. Um, and then I, I took a wellness coaching course in 2016. Um, and I really was just like scared to make the leap. Like I was like, scared to put myself out there. I was scared to use my voice. I didn't even know how to use my voice. Um, I just was like hesitant, not knowing like what the next step was. The program that I went through didn't really help with like marketing or like business stuff like that. So um, I felt like a little bit stuck and I just kept doing what was comfortable, which was like working in a hospital, working at schools, stuff like that. Um, So then I was working as a school nurse last year, 2019 to 2020, and then COVID hit. And to be blatantly honest, when I was working from home as a school nurse, I really was in charge of like handing out laptops and making sure people had lunches and taking a few phone calls during the week um, and a few Zoom calls. But other than that, I had so much free time. And I was like, if not now, when? And so I just, I made the leap and I hired a business coach. I worked with another wellness coach for myself too. So I just, I continue to invest in myself in new ways and put myself out there. And um, yeah, that was in April, 2020. That's incredible. So you really took this time to basically make your life what you wanted it to be. Like that's what this year ended up being for you. Do you think that your perspective around holistic health, right? The Mm -hmm. whole person, because Mm -hmm. I just, I wish I could walk into a hospital and if something was wrong with me, they would evaluate the entire scenario because it's all interconnected. And the fact that we don't is completely insane. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you, has that affected how you're viewing this time in our collective history with COVID? That's an awesome question. Yeah, totally. I feel like this is just a pivotal time, an impactful time. And, and almost like a reflective time, like I'm thinking back to the, the nights where I would spend in my dorm, like just being by myself. And it almost reminds me of quarantine. Like I sort of quarantined myself. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing now. Like we had had yeah. the time to like sit and be and create the life that we want to live and think about where we want to live. And, you know, we had that great pause. And I think that that's a lot of medicine there. Yeah. Well, we slowed down, I mean, tremendously. And I think, I mean, on a personal level, I've moved to a place that is just so much slower. There's so many, there's, 
way fewer people here. I went to the doctor, my new OB for the first time the other day. And I, I must've like said, well, thanks so much. Like said goodbye to her about five times in this <laughs> 45 minutes that she spent with me. Cause I was so confused that she was lingering in the appointment. Wow. I was so confused that she wanted to ask me about myself. And I was just used to being in Texas. I mean, you go to the doctor, there's 50 people in the waiting room. You're yeah. waiting for two hours, one hour in the actual office. You got about five minutes to spew it all out and you're rushing and rushing and rushing. Yeah. And not only that, but she's asking me about, you know, she's telling me about their services and like what they offer and how many doctors they have. And they have like a midwife in the practice. I'm not pregnant by the way, but I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> they have, they have a midwife who like works there and helps you. And like in Houston, if you want a midwife or a doula or somebody to actually help you with the process of being pregnant and giving birth, you're on your own. And it's sort of mm -hmm. weird. Like you got to bring mm -hmm. someone with you to the hospital. The doctor's a little annoyed about it. Mm -hmm. It's like a totally different. And I was just blown away and so happy that things were like that, you yeah, know, that we incredible. were able to actually talk to each other. Mm -hmm. um, so you completely made the jump. So you're no longer working as a school nurse. You're a hundred percent working yeah. for yourself now. Yeah. And what is that like? Is that just so liberating having your own company? It's so liberating. It's something I've dreamed of for years. So it's like yeah. unreal. Like I, I often take a step back. I'm like, what the heck? How did I get here? But then I it's remember amazing. like the journey, it, it, to some people, it might seem like an overnight thing, like, oh, all of a sudden she decided to do this. But like, no, it's been literally like probably 11 years in the making. It's been my whole life yeah. in the making, but like intentionally I have been working towards this. And a lot of what I do support people with now are the lessons, the journeys that I've been on or that I'm going on. And um, it's almost like that like firsthand experience that I think is really valuable. So, I mean... Somebody comes to you, you have a new client, right? And they're struggling in the same ways that you were. Um, maybe food is an issue for them and they have this sort of low level anxiety. What are, where do you start? Where do you start with them? Hmm. So to be technical, I send them a um, wellness like vision form, which is this self-reflective, uh, it's like almost like a journaling, like an online journaling prompt um, with like about 12 different questions. And it just starts off that, that self-exploration, you know, what's your intention with this work together? What's your vision for yourself? Where in your wellness do you feel like needs support? What is really strong? What does strong mean to you? All these different questions, that's where we start. And then from there, um, yeah, we work one-on-one. -on -one. We do a lot of like self-visualizations through guided meditations that I lead. We, we work on like intuitive movement, how to move your body with care and kindness. Um, yeah, mindful eating exercises, meal experiences. Um, yeah, a lot of like spirituality work too. I think that's beautiful because you're focusing on the actual, you're focusing on the spirituality and mm. the food kind of comes as, as more of an afterthought, right? Cause yeah, that's kind of how, totally. I mean, I, I always, and I'm, I've always struggled to explain this to people, but you know, I grew up like I was drinking diet Coke when I was like two years old, we lived in like this sugar-free fat-free household food weight was discussed pretty frequently. Um, I weighed a very normal amount to weigh when I was in high school and was certainly, um, approached about that being too much. That was the direct, um, that was the direct quote. And, um, I remember how devastated I was about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that I did not want to have a life in what I sort of started referring to as the thin cage. I read a I saw a book title once in a, in Barnes and Noble called the thin cage. I was actually in college. I didn't even read the book. And I thought that's what I've been in the thin cage, wow. like this cage of just like needing to be a certain size. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, I went, I got into Al-Anon when I was 20 and began this spiritual journey and mm -hmm. the food really, I remember in London, when you were in an Al-Anon meeting, there would be like 40 people in the meeting and there was tea and little biscuits, which are like chocolate covered cookies. And everybody would take tea mm -hmm. and a couple of cookies. And I started to notice that every time I shared what was going on with me to the group, I would put a cookie in my mouth after mm -hmm. because I just like couldn't handle the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I never even had the space to be aware of something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but slowly but surely, the awareness kind of grew into acceptance, which grew into just the behavior changing 
on its own, really. It's like not something that I felt like I needed to do anymore. And that was so many of the other behaviors that I had around food really just like fell in line as I started to connect with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, now we have like a term for it, which is intuitive eating. But I just felt like that was kind of what I picked up on was this is what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to eat intuitively. I'm going to give myself food that tastes good. That was such a huge part of my early recovery. I remember traveling in Europe and just like eating. I read Eat, Pray, Love. I was so Uh inspired by Elizabeth Gilbert, just like eating whatever she wanted and her pants being too big and just buying bigger pants and like letting herself enjoy her life. I was so inspired by that. And um, I so appreciate that what you do with the people that you work with is really focused on like the whole person, not, Hey, here, here, like have the salad with protein on it for lunch. Like this is so not the point of what's going on (laughs) at all. I don't talk about weight loss or anything like that, but I think that you, you really like picked up something like you were so in tune with yourself there that you, you created intuitive eating for yourself because you're right with like the first step of self-awareness. That's like really where I begin with the people that I work with is like growing that self-awareness, whether it's like coming back into your body, right. Or, or the, the environment that you surround yourself with. And then, yeah, yeah. From your self-awareness, you grew into self-acceptance, like unconditional love for yourself, unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, to wear whatever you want, to say whatever you want, to like really step in who you are. And then that's where it starts. Yeah, that's where it starts. It's like self-awareness, self-acceptance, and then falling into like those self-care actions or different tools that you like pull into your daily life. And that's how you make those bigger changes is with those smaller steps. Wonderful. You also do something that I'm fascinated by. I've, I've been to one Reiki session in my life, but you do distance Reiki. So why don't you start by just explaining what Reiki is and then how you do it in the long distance way? Yeah. Okay. So Reiki is a Japanese ancient healing technique and practice that promotes like overall healing. And I love it because it it takes care of like the whole body, like we were talking about. Um, it's like a complementary therapy to different chronic conditions, treatments. Um, I first came into contact with Reiki when my dad was fighting cancer and I saw firsthand like how much it relieved his pain um, and just like the worry and like the emotions that came along with fighting cancer. Um, I saw how much it relieved him and I was just so intrigued, but also so skeptical, like what the heck is going on here? I like, it supports your physical body. It supports your emotional body, your mental body, your spiritual ailments. Um, and from there, I actually had my first Reiki session at Northeastern in the spiritual life center. Um, and I was like, I was like, this they did Reiki there. Yeah, I worked there for a work study and they had Reiki one day and I just jumped in. Um, But yeah, it was it was so cool. And I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm doing this because I'm like, it's so skeptical to me. Like this is woo woo, you know. Um, So that was my first two experiences with it. And then um, I think a lot of my my journey towards becoming a Reiki practitioner um, was accepting it, accepting the reality of it and like being like, no, this is real, you know, um, not having to convince myself anymore. Um, I began to have distance Reiki healing sessions with different pr- practitioners. And I just felt so connected, so relaxed, so at ease in my own home where they were like 300 miles away providing me Reiki. And so I just began to study it. And um, yeah, distance healing is, is, real and it it happens without any time or space really occurring so um, the practitioner uses their hands to channel reiki or to beam reiki at you Um, and you can be anywhere in the world Um, you just have to be open and accepting to the reiki Um, and reiki translates to universal life force energy that's so beautiful so you will meet you'll talk to somebody over zoom and you'll do this over Zoom or will you do it over the phone? 
Yeah. So we create a Zoom meeting. We meet first. I guide people through a meditation. From there, we mute ourselves. We turn off our video and they get super comfortable in bed or on a yoga mat with lots of blankets. Um, And then I start the treatment, the healing process, and um, they go on like this journey. And a lot of the times I receive like intuitive messages. Um, And when we jump back on for the last 15, 10 minutes of the hour, um, we share our experiences and a lot of times they're interconnected. Like they're really on the same wavelength as you. Yeah. Like I can give you an example. Um, I supported someone out in California. So I'm in Vermont. They're in California. Time change, everything thousands of miles away. And um, I started the Reiki treatment as soon as I like got into the healing treatment. I was, my mind was like flooded with like a million hummingbirds. All I could see were hummingbirds. And then I continued the treatment and then we logged back on and I was like, Hey, um, what's, is there any like meaning to hummingbirds with you? And she just started tearing and was like, my mom recently passed away. And she told me that she would visit me as a hummingbird. And she has hummingbird feeders outside her house. I've never met this woman before. She has hummingbird feeders outside her house. She has, yeah, hummingbirds like it's her special, her special thing with her mom. And it's, it just like is a gift to be able to provide that to other people. So I, I, well, I want to do it now (laughs) along with, um, like learning, like along with starting my own business, I'm also on this journey of like learning my intuitive gifts. Like I'm like, Hmm, I think there's something more going on just wellness coaching. Like I really, I have these gifts and I'm starting to explore them and, um, really trust them. I think you're a little psychic. my friend. (laughs) I don't know, but uh, this is the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something going on there. I think for sure. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's so beautiful. Um, so I love, I love the videos, which I've already mentioned. And like a lot of what you share about, um, food and taking and nourishing yourself, because it's really not like anything that it's a sort of a total rebellion. I feel like to what we're used to seeing, mm-hmm. basically, if you want it, eat it like not, yeah. this is not mm-hmm. like, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm-hmm. and I love, I love that message. And, um, what would you say to somebody who said, you know, my concern is like, if I let go, that I'm just going to basically explode. Mm. I'm scared that if I let go of control, that like everything in my life is just going to, it's it's going to be a disaster because I'm not going to be controlling all the moving parts. Because I think what you preach is kind of the opposite of control. It's being in the flow of your life. And like, if you get a little bigger because of that, that's actually okay. Like this is a complete complete rejection of everything that we've been told we're supposed to be doing. I mean, I remember like coming home from college and I, like everybody else, I'd gained weight in that process. And I remember one of the first like big revelations for me was that I actually, instead of putting my skinny clothes, quote unquote, in another closet, I got Mm. rid of them Mm. because I said, I'm not, I don't care if I fit into those again one day. Um, I'm going to buy myself beautiful clothing for exactly what I look like right now. And like, this is who I am. And that I literally, Hannah, like I bought those clothes and almost immediately I started losing the weight that I had put on because there was almost this reaction to just being, just accepting myself. Yeah. I was no longer in the thin cage, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that about you, Laura. Like you're so, I feel like you're so wise beyond your years. Oh, thank you. That's like, I always remember that about you. Like I've always loved that about you. It's like, you're so mature and just honest with yourself and caring to yourself. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's exactly it. It's like just giving yourself permission to, you know, be with who you are in that moment. And, um, yeah, like releasing self-judgment, releasing expectations, releasing, like that guilt that often comes after eating. And like, that's a whole journey on itself that is so difficult, but it's possible. And um, yeah, just reflecting and coming back inside your body and treating it truly as like a temple for your life here on this plane. And um, yeah, getting to know yourself on those levels and being willing and open to like exploring them. Um, I think that that's like a big part of it is like 
when I start to work with people, one of the last questions on that questionnaire is like, are you ready? And they have to click, yes, I'm ready. And it's like, so are you ready to, to develop this like sense of trust and inner exploration? Because when you start to eat intuitively, um, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning to exploring why it is that you're reaching for those potato chips or why it is that you want to only have smoothies for the day. Okay. So I noticed, I noticed the moment that you let go of your day job, if you will, to pursue your own business, because suddenly you are on fire. You can always tell when somebody is really on fire and they're producing content and just like getting their stuff together really fast. And your writing was just like, oh my God, it was just pouring out of you. And I identified with that in different times in my life. I actually was like, oh, I, I, I've been there. You know, it's such a wonderful yeah. place to be. Yeah. And what I love about you, Hannah, is that um, you could have had that happen and then sort of tried to maintain it almost just through sheer will, which I think a lot of us try to do. And I've certainly tried to do that myself. Mm-hmm. But instead, you really took life up on its seasons, if you will, or wintering, which is something I've been talking to you about behind the scenes lately. Um, what does it mean to winter? Why is it important? And why do we need it? Yeah. So I think that this is so important. And it's something that I learned from my coach and my teacher, Sarah Jenks. Um, you're right, like from April to probably October, November, like I started, I just worked my butt off to get off the ground. And I was like flowing, everything was flowing through me. If you would, I was in a summer mode. I was in like the celebration, I was in the outward expression. Um, and then I, I began to take a step back. And I started to notice that I was feeling like super tired. And that's only natural, right after you've put out so much that you need to take a break. And I, I pushed through a couple more weeks and I was like, this doesn't feel authentic or true. And I also came back to like my why of why it is that I wanted to create this life for myself. And it really was to like be with my nervous system, be with my body and to have the space to like take care of myself. Um, so I, I, I just took a step back and I was like, what is the life that I want to create? Like how, how can this business venture also be part of my journey into healing. Um, and yeah, so working with the seasons is, you know, summer, fall, winter, spring, um, just noticing how they can also be replicated in your own physical body, your own life cycles, um, the moon, also women's hormone cycles and menstruation. Um, so yeah, as a nurse, as a woman, I've really turned to this idea and found so much like peace and permission to like be where you are right now, as well as like a deeper connection to nature. Um, through practicing these cycles and being with them. So just to go through the different cycles. So currently, I feel like I'm leaving winter. Um, It just so happens that it corresponds with actual winter here in the Northeast. Um, And usually it doesn't really correspond with the seasons. Um, But winter is like that. It doesn't. It usually doesn't. And it can be like a week. It can, it doesn't have to be like the three month or four month long season. Um, it can be short. So yeah. I've, I've been in winter probably for the past two months. Like I, I ask people this when I'm working with them, like what season of life do you find yourself in right now? And they really take a moment to pause about it because you have to think about all the different aspects of what's going on. So yeah, I've been in winter for the past two months probably. And it's that time of just like deep rest and like, growing your inner wisdom, being still. If you think about like snowfall on the ground and it's just quiet, like that hibernation feeling. Um, and it's really like preparing you for like when all the snow goes away and you come back out and you're like, oh, fully rejuvenated. So that's that winter feeling. It also correlates to the new moon energy, like when the sky is completely dark it also correlates to when women have their period, when you're bleeding, that same energy. Um, and then you move into spring and spring is that time of growth. Like you think about the grass coming through the ground. It's that growth, those new ideas. Um, you're like creating and growing. Um, it relates to the waxing moon, which is when the moon's getting bigger. Um, and it also relates to the follicular phase right after your period. 
Um, and then you can move into summer energy, which is that like connection. If you feel about like July, if you think about July 4th, like you're stepping out, you're being with a ton of people. Usually, um, you're like magnetic, you're celebrating, you're really having that outward energy. And that's where I was when I felt like I was starting my business. Um, it correlates to the full moon energy, um, and also ovulation. So when you're the most able to get pregnant, right. Um, and then going into Wait, who was it I was talking yeah. to? Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I, that ovulation is like your Beyonce time of the month. Yeah. Like it's when you're like just on fire. Yeah, <laughs> on fire. And I notice that I'm always my most creative yeah. at that time of the month. Yeah, I, I feel like and I'm always too. my most organized right before I get my period. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that that would correlate to fall. Um, the waning moon, which is when the the moon is getting smaller, um, the luteal phase, which is what you're just describing. And it's that feeling of like release organization, tidy. Um, if you think about like the back to school energy, like, you know, gathering all the things preparing for winter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think winter is so important, you know, in our culture, like before COVID, it was just so go, go, go. And, um, like giving yourself that permission to rest, but also knowing like when you're done resting, like, is this, has this turned into laziness? Am I, is this no longer serving me? Like knowing when it's time to like, and how do you know that? Um, I think that it's, how do you know that? Yeah. It's part of like getting to know yourself. It's part of like the whole thing is like, that self-awareness, 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 right? Like, is this serving me and being honest? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that because it's like not concrete, right? This thing. And I'm so glad that you just brought this up. I've been wanting to talk about this for so long. This thing that once served you so well can also no longer serve you anymore. And Mm -hmm. like to be constantly evaluating what it feels like. And is this actually something that I need to be doing? I mean, we moved here. I've been very open about how I just needed to be with my family and I couldn't really do anything else. And then as that continued and continued, I started asking myself, do I really need to be in this much hibernation? Is this really still serving me? And just because it served me two or three months ago, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's what I need today. I mean, I, I think especially when you're on any type of healing journey, there are going to be things in the beginning of your journey that were mind blowing and they still won't necessarily be what it is that you need today in order to feel good and to feel like you're getting what you need. Mm-hmm. And this constant evaluation of what that looks like, even with therapy, right? So I talked about this on my last episode. I've My first therapy session, I was probably about 12 or 13 years old. And I have not been in therapy since then. I have gone in and out. Mm-hmm. And there have been times where I have been in therapy and I have said, you know what? My work here is done for now. I haven't graduated, but it's time for me to be out on my own. And then something new comes up and I have to ask myself, do I need to talk about this with somebody? And in my last episode, I was talking about anxiety. I was talking about how, you know, I'd worked with a certain therapist in Houston for probably about two years and I was doing really well for a while. And then a new, a new level sort of came up for me around my anxiety that has been present since I had my first child. And I asked myself again, is this something that I need somebody to guide me through? Can I really do this by myself? Because it doesn't seem to be working. I actually gave myself a deadline. I said, if I feel the way that I do now in a month, Mm -hmm. I'm going to reach out to somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm so grateful that I have. And, um, you know, she's the perfect person for me, I think, to be working with right now. But like to everything, there's a season and we need to constantly be asking ourselves, like, do I, am I getting what I need right now? Mm -hmm. Do I need more of this or less of that? Because it's not static. Mm -hmm. And you're such a beautiful example of that. Mm -hmm. I think. Thank you. That story is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's like always, and it's a cycle, right? Like, even though you're moving away from it, you can always come back to it. And it's almost like dosing yourself with the right medicine. Like what is really going to help me here today? There isn't a one size fit all fits all. And like how we've been marketed that like you will discover this thing <laughs> and it will change your life forever and you won't ever need any help again. Yeah. And that is so not 
what life is actually like. And we do need rest and we ought to take it. I always am in conflict personally between the sort of need to be out there all the time that I think is brought to us by social media Mm -hmm. and what I know to be true, which is that that's actually impossible for me. I, I can't do that. So somebody, an influencer that I follow actually shared yesterday, like just a reminder, you don't need to, what you're doing is relevant, even if nobody sees it. Yeah. And I wonder if we've lost sight of that a little bit. Yeah. It's like, oh, I am doing gua sha and I want to take a video of it. So people know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You still did enough today, even if nobody else knew that you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's like little kids. Like my kids want me to see every single thing that they do. Mm -hmm. They're like, look at me. Look, I did this. And like, sometimes they're not doing that as much, but sometimes they really need that extra validation. Right. Yeah. And as adults, I think we get into that. You know, we need, we need that extra validation. And, and, and right now in our world, like that's almost how we are communicating with people. That's how we are getting the connection, the attention. So I think that it's, almost becoming, if it wasn't already a fuzzy line, it's already, it's becoming an even like grayer area. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's that grace and that checking in with yourself and, and really asking yourself, is this good for me today? Like, do I need to share this? What's, what's the point of sharing this? And yeah, social media is a tricky, tricky area. Well, you're also, you're also a yoga instructor among all the things that I've mentioned here. And I remember when I was doing yoga in Boston in college, when we knew each other, Uh um, there was this class, there were these two classes at the yoga studio that I went to that were just jam packed every night. You couldn't get into them. And when I first started doing yoga, those are the classes that I just wanted to go to all the time. And as I kept going and going and going, I found myself attracted to teachers with smaller classes Mm-hmm. And not because the classes were small, because of the teacher. Mm-hmm. And I asked my friend, who was a yoga instructor in a different studio, for some reason, I was really struggling with the fact that I didn't want what everyone else wanted. Mm-hmm. Why does everybody want to go to these giant classes? And I like these smaller ones and these teachers. Like, what's wrong with me? That was kind of like the lens I was viewing mm-hmm. myself through. And she said, you know, through all the years I've done yoga, I can tell you that the best teachers, the wisest teachers usually have the smallest number of people in their classes. And I loved that. And like, it was like, by the time I was leaving Boston, the one class that I was going to sometimes had two people in it. It was like, I wanted to hear what this woman had to say. And that was what made me, me, not what made me crazy. And, um, you know, I'm sure you can be an incredible yoga instructor and have a, a a packed room. Like, but I do think that when somebody is offering wisdom, like you have to remember, like if you're going to be climbing higher on that ladder, mm-hmm. you, it might be more isolating and you're not necessarily going to be doing what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And like, don't we need that message sort of now more than ever yeah. when it seems like everybody else is doing something? Yeah. I was just listening to one of your previous episodes about taking a breath. And yeah. listening to you guide that, I was like, oh, she should be a yoga teacher. <laughs> like, really? I can see that path for you. <laughs> I, I don't know what's next for me, Hannah. I, um, I really want to do something. My astrologer was like, well, you have a very good chart for a therapist. I was like, well... Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be going back to school anytime soon, but um, I do love that you do wellness coaching because I think that's probably more accessible. Maybe something yeah. I might be exploring, wow, but um, I did want to be a yoga teacher when I was in college and my mom like basically staged an intervention. She was like, no, you're coming home. <laughs> and I, I, I still think about it. You know, I still think about about that. So it's been a while since I've done yoga regularly, but I do, I miss it dearly. Wow. Yeah. I I think that a wellness coaching and therapy is like very hand in hand. Um, yeah, I can see that for you. I can totally see that for you. And you're right. Like I've thought about going back to school for therapy and I'm like, the thought of school is just like exhausting. Um, so yeah, yeah, wellness coaching is definitely um, a similar avenue. That's one. Oh, I'm so I'm so grateful the world has you, Hannah. And um, I just I love your work and I love what you're doing. And I'm so proud of you. Like you're just mm-hmm. you're just a light. Um, mm-hmm. And thank you so much for coming on my show today. 
Thank you so much for having me, Laura. And I just appreciate the way that you see me and are holding this space for me. Um, It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to my conversation with Hannah Tarion, and you can find her online. Hannah, tell us your website. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Um, It's my name. It's hannahtarion.com. Okay, wonderful. And um, you can find the exact link in the show notes and learn more about Hannah's offerings. Um, I'm Laura Max Rose. Thank you for joining me. And I look forward to joining you again next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time. Mama, 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 mama,